Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What is a quote-unquote adult problem that nobody prepared you for? You first. So we might have even talked about this. If we didn't talk about it on the podcast, I think we talked about it personally. But um, when you become a parent, Mm -hmm. when you become a dad, nobody talks about how often you're going to get kicked in the balls. (laughs) We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Patrick. Thanks. Good. You are still on the Cape. You are wrapping up. I think you're wrapping up your... Your yearly trip down to the Cape, right? Yes. Yeah, we are about two weeks post-games, so yep. wrapping things up. Awesome. Cool. So um, I thought it would be fun kind of continuing that. In, the, in our last conversation, we talked about the games and sort of the the one or two-week kind of deep breath you guys take after the games. And so I thought we'd use that as an excuse to have another Hopper Talk uh, episode. Hopper Talk is when uh, I go onto the internets and I find interesting conversations or interesting questions rather uh, that might spark um, some friendly banter uh, and some friendly argument between the two of us. Um, so that's what we're going to do again today. I got all of these questions except for the CrossFit focused ones on Reddit this time. Turns out Reddit can be useful if you use it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got all these questions off Reddit. So if anybody out there has interesting questions that kind of fit this uh, mode or this format, Find me on the Instagrams, P.S. Cummings. Send me a DM and I'll add it to our list. All right, ready? Rock and roll. Okay. All right, our first question today, and I'll let you go first. What's a quote that per- that's permanently changed the way you look at things? Um, from Eckhart Tolle. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it's in A New Earth. The universe will give you exactly what you need for the evolution of your consciousness. Oh, give that to me again. Okay. So the the universe will give you exactly what you need for the evolution of your consciousness. And then there's a follow-up sentence to that, which is, how do you know that this is what you need? It's because this is what's happening to you right now. Mm. So essentially, it means that everything is happening for a reason. And that reason is to further who we are as people. So- I think about this all the time, since reading this all the time, um, this morning, um, went to go jump in the shower and there was no hot water. Mm-hmm. So normally that would be like, woe is me, pity party, I'm a victim, there's no hot water. When you put it through the prism or the filter of this, this mindset that this is happening to you so that you can elevate yourself as a conscious being. So there's a reason that this is happening. You're supposed to take a cold shower today. I don't know the reason. We will never know the reason, but 
that is now it's like, okay, let's lean into this. Let's go for this. It's not the pity party. This is exactly what's supposed to be happening. So um, I think about that all the time. You know, when a, um, when you're faced with having a hard conversation, instead of like, oh, damn, it's like, okay, this is here for me to have this hard conversation and I'm going to come out of this a more formidable being or evolve my consciousness. So mm-hmm. um, I just love that prism of that, that, that mindset, that approach to um, let's not play victim. It's let's um, lean into the things that might otherwise be challenging for us. Is that, is there similarities or do you see them differently? The, uh, you know, the, the stoic Ryan holiday obstacle opportunity idea is that, are they, are they yeah. similar sentiments or do you, do you see nuance in there that might be worth, no, I worth think, unpacking? I, um, I think it's, I think it's very similar. I, but I think it's, um, you know, it's um it it takes away a little bit to me of like la- the labeling <clears throat> aspect of obstacle or opportunity oh, it's like is yep. it good or is it bad it's it's neither of those things this is what's happening and it's happening because um it's it takes away like the um the way you're just framing it and it's actually saying like this is supposed to happen you, you know um the music goes out or your um you know, the music goes out in your workout. I didn't finish that sentence. That was weird. Um, <laughs> I actually knew what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, but the music goes out and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, all of these things that are, um, they're supposed to happen. So, um, you know, it's also, I've, I'm, I've recently read A New Earth and I, you know, fell in love with um, just the, the whole, I think it's, for me, it's the next thing. It, it's my the way my journey has taken place is I, I very much um, gravitated and embraced the stoic philosophy um you know particularly marcus aurelius and then um from there you know that led into you know the ryan holiday and just the 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 way he pulls in every, uh, the real world examples and then um you know i from there i, I kind of led into like some more like spiritual stuff you know uh the easy ones were like jay shetty um yep. but then it went into you know some deepak Chokra, and then finally to like Eckhart Tolle, and it's um, I think it's all about you know finding you know now I'm um, doing um, Untethered Soul and Singer, but I think it's all like the order because I I remember trying to read that um, A New Earth years ago, and man it it fell completely on deaf ears, mm. and I think it's just a matter of like finding these things at the right time, and if I had heard that quote you know, a decade ago, it probably wouldn't have resonated the way it is right now. I think I would have resonated way more towards a Marcus Aurelius quote because it was more, um, where I was, um, not good or bad. It's just where I was and what was, um, meaningful in my life at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so much, so much what, what ends up resonating are things that like, you've got to bring in the context of where you are at that moment when you get it right like with this question, what you were just saying, maybe like that's permanently changed. Right. Like, that's actually probably not possible permanently change because you're going to change right, in a year. You're going right. to change in two years. You're going to change in three years. So uh, I think it feels permanent, but you know we can revisit this in a couple of years and we'll see what quote feels to be to have permanently changed. Well, that's uh, it's a, it's it's the reason that I'm a fan of uh, reading books a second time, right? Because mm, when you read 100%. the book a second time, you have different context in your life. You're seeing it f- through a different prism. You're not trying to pull out the big big 
moving pieces, the plots or um, the take-home points, you're seeing more of the nuancey type stuff. It's that no man ever steps in the same river twice because the man has changed, the river has changed. And that's case in point to like a quote like this that right now is so transformative for me, yet a decade ago would have like just completely washed over my head. Yep. What, what's, what's yours? What's your quote? So mine is, uh, mine's from Seth Godin, which probably wouldn't surprise you, but it's mm-hmm. from uh, his book, This is Marketing, um, which is about marketing, but it's really about lots of things. Um, uh, I think the subtitle is learning how to see or something like that. Anyways, mm-hmm. the, the quote is, they say the best way to complain is to make things better. The first step on the path to make things better is to make better things. And actually, the timing of this is interesting because you can probably see it in the video, probably not. But behind me, I, I made some art for um, for my, my I just got a new office and I made some art for the walls. And across the top, it says um, make things better. And across the bottom, it says make better things. And so that to me is um, when I first read it a couple of years ago and when I kind of revisited it a number of times, it really every time I read it, it started to resonate more and more and more. And it started to and what I started to realize, what I started to think about what it started to kind of uh, pull out of me is this idea like those are the two things that I've been trying to do for my entire adult life, make things better and to make better things. Can, and you, so give me I, the, can you give the quote again? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's uh, they say the best way to complain is to make things better. The first step on the path to make things better is to make better things. Cool. So to me, I put it up, I put it up on the wall as a reminder, uh, as a motivator, as a, uh, um, as a source of checking in on myself. Am I doing these two things? Almost everything I've ever done that I've had, that's given me any satisfaction, any fulfillment, I can honestly point to saying, okay, it was that, or it was this, right? It's, it's either I was, I was making things better or I was making better things, or at least I was attempting to make things better. I was attempting to make better things, um, which is really kind of the, 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 the point of that idea. Um, and so that to me is like, again, it's been, probably the last six months, nine months that I really kind of, I keep coming back to those, that idea or those ideas. Um, and so like we were just talking about that to me feels permanent. It feels like it's changed me. Um, and so that's, that's why I put it on the wall and that's why I kind of highlighted here. Very cool. What, yeah. um, the complaint aspect to that in the beginning, do you see that yeah. as, um, as him saying that the best way to, as like the most productive way? Yeah, I think so. I love that line too. And it's not, it's not the line that I kind of pull out um, from that or the one that really stuck out to me. But when I went back, I went back through the book to find it because I wanted to make sure that I kind of got the whole context. And I remember that line, the, the best way to complain is to make things better. Hmm. And, and that's just such a, such a wonderful idea. Hmm. Um, to make things better is such a, such a proactive, such an active uh, approach or an active attempt to I don't want to say complain because it's not complaining, but that's it. It's instead right. of complaining, really. Um, and it's just such a it's such a great turn of phrase. It's such a great way to look at even just the concept of complaining. Yeah, I love that. It's uh, I mean, it's it, it's in a strange sense. It's the it's similar to what I was talking about. Instead of playing the victim and complaining yep. about something, it's yep. just go ahead and make do this thing and do this thing better. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Next question. What is something free on the internet that everyone should take advantage of? Okay. You go first. This Me time. first? Yeah. All right. I've got, two, I've got two answers. So I'll go kind of quick through both of them. The first one is a tool. And the second is uh, maybe just a, a kind of a, a 
I don't want to say a hack, but a way of kind of using uh, what is free on the internet to be useful or more useful. So the first is a tool I, uh, called Notion, which is something I use kind of for everything. It's sort of, I, I may have mentioned it before, but um, it's kind of my brain outside my brain. I kind of put mm -hmm. everything inside of there. And the easiest way to think about it is like, it's like if, it's like if Google Drive was good <laughs> and it had, it's got like some spreadsheet capabilities, some word processors, some databases, like lots of things that you can bring into one simple, easy to use tool. Um, and it is free for like the, you can, you pretty much anybody can use it. Um, uh, or anybody can use it for free, but most people can get away with just using the free um, uh, level. And then you can pay like five bucks a month for a, a few extra functions, um, which I do, but the free one is, is um is fully worth using, so that's the first one is Notion. But then the other one is, it's it's um, something I've, I I want to continue to do. I've only kind of I've sort of stumbled around doing it, and every time I do it, I, I think okay, I got to do this more because this works. And it's it's um, reading a book, especially a book that's been released within the last couple of years. N nine times out of ten, that author has been on two, three, five, fifty-two podcasts talking about that book, right? In the in the promotion of the book, right? We've been lucky to have guys like you know Stephen Kotler come on um, in the you know in the process of promoting and talking about their book. And so, one way that I found to be really useful to really kind of digesting the big, interesting, salient points inside the book is to read the book and then, with some intention, go say, okay, where are the two? to three interviews that I'm going to do, I'm going to listen to, you know, with a Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or another podcast that you appreciate that you feel like ask good questions that dive real deep and say, okay, I'm going to read the book. And then this week I'm going to listen to two or three podcasts with him because what that does is that allows, you know, a book is a really passive thing. Once the, once the author writes it, you can't ask him a question anymore about, Oh, what did you mean about that? Or is that related to this? Or I'm confused about this part, but a really good interviewer will effectively do that for you. They'll put themselves in the reader's uh, seat and say, oh, can you connect this from uh, to that with me? Or can we talk about kind of these big things that you talked about? Can we break them down a little bit? And it gives the author the ability to use kind of a different muscle and talk about things in a slightly different way and maybe a more... Um, uh, in a more natural way than sitting down and writing and kind of crafting paragraphs and crafting sentences. Conversation, the conversation can kind of come naturally and we can kind of take things in, in a way that's different than if we're just sitting kind of passively or even like slightly more than passively reading the book. Um, and so that to me is, is a really useful, fun and effective way to pull even more out of the books that we're reading. And we live in this wonderful time where like, if you go, if you're reading a Cal Newport book or Ryan Holiday book or your new book or whatever, like, cool, got that. Now I'm going to go spend two or three more hours to make sure I get really big, interesting, salient points out of that book by listening to a conversation about the book with the author. Super cool. The, the, I'm, I'm super curious about the first one. Um, mm. what, what was it called again? Notion. Notion. Uh, you, you briefed it as it would be Google Drive if Google Drive was good. Yeah. What what is what is wrong with Google Drive? Google Drive, I never liked Google Drive because it ends up, at least in my experience, you end up having like a thousand random documents, half of which are like untitled and some of which are empty. And it's to me, it's always been a pain in the ass to like figure out where everything lives and what mm -hmm. everything is. Whereas Notion, you can literally connect everything to each other. And so I can build out a page that has 
uh, again, like a spreadsheet and some uh, and a video embed and some words and that, you know, some uh, like a word processor. And then I can link to another page in my Notion account so I can get easy access to that. So it's just it's just kind of connects. It just puts everything into one place hmm. in one simple streamlined place um, that I find um, as a user to be much uh, much easier to use and much more fun than my experiences with Google Drive. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so mine <laughs> is um, Google Calendar. Like, I just think like if if if, <laughs> it, it. No. Yep. if it is something that everybody that is free that everybody should use, and maybe there's better ones out there, but it's um, I can't no, imagine yeah. living my life without Google Calendar. Like in the, 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 the ease of which it is for me to connect to you and invite you onto something, um, and create repeats thing. So that is honestly what, what drives my life. Like, and I'm, I spend, um, without exaggeration, hours every week auditing my calendar. Like I will always go out two or three weeks ahead figuring out, is this the most meaningful thing I should be doing? Should I be moving this around? Am I creating the right buffers between? It's something I didn't do before. I did it passively before. And when that happened is other people would take control of your schedule. If you're not in control of it, somebody else will. And over time, I've learned to be much more proactive and intentional with my time and creating, you know, buffers between things so that I'm not, you know, literally, I used to literally run from meeting to meeting. Um, and I think that it's such a cool visual representation of the way that we can, um, own our, our attention. Yeah. So so that's my first one. And the second one is equally as generic. Um, and it's a little bit, so we should have said two because we both came up with two. It's really I know, we both came up, we're cheating. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's similar. Ours, ours are almost spot on. Like yours was a way to organize you and your thoughts. The next one was like how to get more educated. And the next one for me is it's a simple thing that if done with intentionality is incredibly impactful because of the, the vastness and the um, how engaging it is. And it's YouTube. Like if you want to learn something, um, how to Olympic lift the tutorials on Olympic lifting on YouTube, there has been never in the history of the world been a tool like that to help you gain mastery. And whether it's listening to a podcast or it's watching, breaking something down in slow motion, or it is an explanation of the vastness of the universe, or it is something about quantum mechanics. It's you can dive into something in an incredibly engaging way and go down as long as it's done with intention, the YouTube rabbit hole to really become um, pretty well versed in a incredibly short amount of time. I like that idea of, you know, back in the anytime before the essentially the 18, 1900s, if you wanted to become a master at something, you had to become an apprentice. It took decades to become um, pretty well versed in something. Well, then there's, they figure out how to fast forward that. And obviously it's before the 1800s, but um, it, you could read a book. You take a master, have this master distill this thing down. Instead of 10 years of studying under somebody, you could read something in 10 hours. You know, And then from there, 
they figured out like, oh, you can move it even faster. And it's okay. Instead of these 10 hours of reading a book, to your point, let's listen to two or three or maybe one hour of a podcast where it's really pointed conversation. And then from there, you can go into take the appropriate um, tangents off of that to learn even more in, in a really engaging way. And whether it's listening to um, commencement speeches, whether it's learning about, um, you know, the digestion of a blue whale, like you can become like, it's all there for you. And it's one of the things as a coach, um, it's one of the things that I'm so grateful it exists because I'm far from an expert in these specialty fields of, you know, of, um, you know, swimming, you know, swimming's become a major staple in the, in the CrossFit games. And I feel like I've, um, become pretty technically proficient at coaching swimming without ever taking a swimming course. Um, yeah, I can just go on, you know, freestyle made easy. I can go on total immersion and there's so much information there that, um, you can essentially, you know, it's kind of started for me. It started with CrossFit. CrossFit was like one of these first to me, completely open source for businesses where freemium was the model. And if you wanted to, if you want to put in the time, you could get everything from the level one seminar. You just had to get it in like bits and bytes and pieces. Mm -hmm. And if you're intentional enough, you can get the totality of that level one seminar. Or you can just go there to the level one. But it's an amazing, amazing resource that allows you to really um, take some dives that was unavailable, you know, just two decades ago. Yeah, I feel like we could talk about this question for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, but before we move on, because I do think I want to, I think we've, we've teased it already. I think it's on this, on our schedule, the idea of um, having a, or doing an episode on designing our days, designing our lives. Um, and so I don't want to, we don't need to go too deep into that because I'm excited about that conversation. But it's interesting the what you use Google Calendar for, because I've obviously seen your your calendar, how you use it, at least to, to a large degree, is how I use Notion, which mm. is interesting. And it's interesting because and I can get away with it doing it in Notion because I don't. I I'm a, I work solo. I work with some clients, but you work with a team, and so you need sort of a public place where that's can be done. Whereas I can do it in a private space. But but it's effectively the same thing. It's I spend hours, maybe not hours a week, but close to hours a week, managing what am I yeah. doing tomorrow? What am I doing the day after that? What are the three? What are the things that I'm going to try to accomplish this week and this month, etc. Um, and so I think we use different tools, but for the same general aim. Yeah, it's actually if if I find myself um, for a couple seconds twiddling my thumbs for whatever reason, like hmm, I have nothing to do, mm-hmm. which is a really rare moment. <laughs> Um, and I'm at work. I'm not like going to go and like hang out with my wife or my kids. I'm not going to go, you know, um, I'm not going to, that's what I'll do is I'll go in. That's what I, I go in. And I manage cause it's such a, I'll go in and manage the next two, three weeks of, of my schedule and really look at, uh, making sure that I'm, and uh, cause sometimes things get overlapped on top of each other and it's like, okay, now I need to go in and, um, see if we can get the 15 minute gap here. Can I move this to another day? And, um, it's, it's really Cool, because what's in there, and you've seen it, it's not just this meeting, coach this class. Yep. It's, um, um, you know, read this article. It is um, work on this project. It's the things yeah. that the important but not urgent stuff that gets so easily pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. 
Um, again, I, I don't want to belabor yeah. this, but there's an idea, there's a concept from Cal Newport. I don't think I don't know if he came up with it, but he he's been talking about it a lot. Cal Newport's the author of Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. Um, this idea of time block planning, where you literally give every hour, give every minute a job. And so going through your day and saying, okay, nine to ten is read this article from whatever, or which which I love is the idea of like go do a deep dive on total immersion swimming on YouTube. Give yourself the hour to do that because that's the kind of intention that you need to not get lost in the YouTube rabbit hole, but to say, okay, I've got an hour. I'm going to go try to get this video in and this video in, right? Or whatever it might be. Um, but really blocking that out so that you um, you do it with the intention necessary, but you don't uh, you don't push it off. So like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll watch swimming videos when I have time, which as you know, like it, uh, you never have time unless you make the time for it. So anyways, all that's related. Next question. What benchmark workout should appear in the CrossFit Games? Okay, presumably that hasn't that presumably right. that haven't already. That hasn't so there's already. Um, uh, like Fran, Elizabeth, um, um, Karen. Uh, oh, I was on the team side, I think, um, but certainly Murph has sh- showed up. Okay, yep. um, I'm gonna say I I think that a great, fun, good test to, to watch and um, would be. And I think it'd be a great test is Kelly. So Kelly is five rounds for time of 400 meter run, 30 box jumps, 30 wall balls. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do it a little tweak like they always do when it's a games type of thing. It'd be the game. And I would probably do it with um, box jump overs, you know, just because the box jumps is a weird standard now. Yep. Um, and I just think that'd be a super cool high end test because everyone's going to do it on broken. Everyone's going to do it fast. And um, you know, they kind of uh, did a little version, like a, a big running workout with that's going to be, they did that with the Toto bar run this year a little bit. I think that'd be a great test. Um, and I also think that it just, it would eat up a lot of movements, but what a mm. cool test would be, um, lumberjack 20. Oh, you have to remember what that is. I so lumberjack the name 20, is familiar, but- yeah, it's lumberjack 20. It's really cool, super fun workout. It's essentially run 400 meters come back in and do 20 reps of a movement. And there's about 10 different movements. So it's a chipper style with a 400 right. meter run in between. So it's 400 meter run, 20 deadlifts at 275, 200 meter run, 20 chest of bar pull-ups, 200 meter run, 20 um, walking lunges, 200 meter run, 20, uh, I'm going to get the movements wrong, but um, box jumps, 200 meter run, 20 wall balls. And again, it'd be like this because everyone would be di- better at different movements inside of it that it would move a little bit and I would obviously scale it up for the games athletes. You know, it would be deadlifts would be at 315 and chest to bars might be, um, um, bar muscle ups and, um, box jump overs might be at 40 inches and it'd be like, Oh my gosh. And every round people are making different gains. Yeah. That'd be an incredible, incredibly fun, very good test to watch. It might be like, after you do that, like you don't need to do a ton more maybe, you know, it's like, yeah. That's going to um, be really exhaustive um, you, test. I think you said, is it a 200 meter run or 400? 400 meter run. Yep. 400. 400. Meter. Yeah. Is that a not like, like it was fun to kind of watch this year with the, 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 the few shorter runs that they did or like the, the interval runs. Is that enough that you would, that you would see athletes passing each other on that 400? Yeah. You 400 would. be yep. like the, the, okay, you came in, you, you left the building third. You're going to come back in third. Yep. No, you would see people, um, closing and because it's also enough rounds if you do like a workout like helen which is 400 meter run but it's only three rounds with not a big separator in between 
that's going to be kind of like a train for the most part. And there'll be like moving of seconds. But with this as kind of slug festy as this is, if you scaled it up appropriately for the games athletes, and because it's 10 rounds, that's two and a half miles of running. So you're certainly going to see the changes. The run is going to matter in an appropriate way. It's not going to dominate it, but it would be enough that the, um, the runners would get rewarded for being runners. Got it. Cool. So mine, I don't know if mine would be an interesting event in the, like in the games as entertainment category, but as a test, I think it's, uh, it's, a it's a gnarly one, which is, uh, Eva, uh, or a, a Eva, right. Eva, yeah, which yeah, I think yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's five That's... rounds, 800 meter run, uh, 30 heavy kettlebell swings, right. And then 30 pull-ups. Oh, see, I forgot about that. You're right. Yes. No, no, it's an, it's a gnarly. So it's two and a half miles of running because 800 meter run five times. It's 150 pull-ups and it's 150 heavy kettlebell swings. I think that'd be a, for now, that would be an amazing, awesome test. Kettlebell swings is a weird standard. So you'd have to figure out something there, but, um, um, that it's an over-programmed workout for a normal athlete. Mm. But yeah. man, does it fit right in the sweet spot now for games athletes? I agree. I think it'd be awesome. Maybe you do it as like uh um instead of swings, it's dumbbell snatches. You know, mm. 70 pound, yep. 70 pound one arm alternating dumbbell snatches. Yep. That'd be awesome. Cool. All right. Next one. What is the worst minor injury? Uh so you're first on this one. Me first. The, so <laughs> It's funny thinking about this just makes you think like, ah, I'm a baby sometimes, but anything that anything, any kind of, again, injury in quotes, any kind of injury with like my tongue or my mouth or anything that makes it painful to, to smile, talk or eat. I find myself, I'm just like, it just puts me in a bad mood. Hmm. Uh, And so that to me is like, when I think about this, like, that's it. Like what, how, like whatever it is, like bite your tongue canker sore, whatever it might be, anything that, um, that, that reduces the joy of, again, smiling, talking or eating. I'm just like, Oh, I'm just grumpy. I love that. It's, um, couldn't agree more. Like things with the mouth are like, it's also like, if it's in your mouth, it's maybe this tiny little thing, but you're, um, if they say it in the movie fight club, it's like that little tiny thing that in your mouth that would just heal if you couldn't stop playing with your tongue. You know, it's like, it's like, you just can't, it's everything in your mouth seems to be like exaggerated. Yeah. And you can't just Um, leave it alone. Yeah. You you just just can't, if you could just leave it alone. Yeah. Um, all right. So I would go, I'll go, um, very CrossFit and then I'll go outside. This is an injury and people just don't think of it as that, but it's ripping your hands. Mm, You know, when you rip your hands, that is an injury and people just think of it as part of like the normal, like, Oh, I ripped my hands and, uh, we're very, um, um, at the games, very cautious of that. That is a injury that is very likely to happen and we do everything we can to mitigate that. So that'd be the first one that popped in my mind. But the next one, I don't know if know it's an injury, but kind of to your point, like it's so annoying and it like consumes me. It hasn't happened in a while. I'm going to knock on wood right now, but is, <laughs> but is poison ivy. Like the, the, the feeling of like, if you think of like terrible feelings of like, um, sharp pain, like being cold, being hot. Uh, the, the, for me, the most like one that takes over my mind is itchy. Mm. I just can't stand itchy. You know, it's so, so poison ivy. If you have like this one tiny little dot, that's like the size of, you know, 
uh, you know, a pea. And it's like, doesn't matter where it is. If it's on like, you know, the inside of your elbow, man, it just like consumes you. Yeah. I've never, I've, you know, again, I'll knock on wood too. I've never actually had poison ivy. Um, or I've never, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that. If I've had poison, I've never touched. Yeah, whatever. no, I but, think that's it. Yeah. But I've been, the closest thing is, uh, that I've had, I had maybe 10 years ago, shingles and that <sighs> same, same thing, same kind of misery, same kind of, uh, uh, yeah. Distraction maybe is one way to put it, but yeah, it's hard okay, to, yeah. it, I love to think that like, uh, you know, happiness fulfillment is a choice and it's not set upon by your surroundings or what's happening, mm-hmm. uh, God, that's challenging when I poison ivy. <laughs> All right. Next question. Next question. What is a quote unquote adult problem that nobody prepared you for? You first. So we might have even talked about this. If we didn't talk about it on the podcast, I think we talked about it personally. But um, when you become a parent, mm-hmm. when you become a dad, nobody talks about how often you're going to get kicked in the balls. <laughs> Nobody talks about that. And from the time I was born till the time I was 35, three and a half decades, I may have gotten kicked in the nards or something. Maybe, maybe five or six times. Yep. Since I've had kids in the last 10 years, it's like hundreds <laughs> it happens all the time like when you're sitting on the couch and you have toddlers they know they come in running at you with a flying knee they run they leap and they lead with a knee right in your groin i mean it's it's how does no one talk about this i don't know yeah <laughs> Uh, is Heather nearby just laughing at this answer that you probably She's doesn't not. understand the context there? <laughs> no, no, she understands. <laughs> she understands. Yeah. That's really funny. Mine, um, I'm going to think about that. Mine, mine is significant, is, is, uh, <laughs> it's different than that. Um, I, mine, when I really started to think about this, one, one of the things that I actually love, I would love your thoughts on this because it's something I'm kind of struggling with, which is when you get to a certain age, you and whatever that age obviously varies in, in, in per person to person, but like you'd stop needing, you stop needing your parents. You stop needing them mm. emotionally, financially, logistically, whatever it is. Right. Maybe that it's sometime, obviously, you know, post high school, post college, whatever. And they no longer need you for really like they, you probably didn't at any point, but like, they don't need you for any reason. They don't need you mm. financially. They don't need your, uh, your help within like, right. Their health is still good. Right. At least this is the the fortunate position I'm in. Right? My parents are healthy. They're good. They don't need me for things. Um, obviously we love seeing each other. We love spending time together, but there isn't that like that's disappeared. So now it's like this weird chasm, this weird place where I don't really know how to be a useful son. Maybe I don't need to be useful, but like whatever that mm. word is, right. I don't know how to, add value. I don't know what they need from me. I don't know how to make sure that they feel appreciated. Like all of those things. Like, I just feel like I'm in this sort of like weird spot where hmm. thank God, like they don't need me. They don't like they're, again, they're healthy or whatever. And there may, there will probably maybe a time in the future where that's not the case, but for now, I don't know how to, I don't know how to be useful to them. I don't know how to make sure that they feel useful 
or that they feel useful to me. That's really interesting. Um, I think that there's um, inherent in the way that our family structures are set up, that there is this um, beginning and end of dependency. In the beginning, we depend on them. At the end, they depend on us, whether it's provide, um, you know, whatever, get them in an appropriate home, healthcare, financial, um, whatever it might be. And obviously as infants, we are massively dependent on our, our parents. And I, I think that it's interesting where you bring up this chasm that we have to navigate between the two. And to me, that's, I don't think there is, um, it's relationships don't need dependency. And in fact, if there's dependency, there might not be the the relationships in the true sense of the word, because Mm -hmm. it's a dependency, not a relationship. And I think this is the challenge is what is the strength of our relationships? Because you're not going to your best friend and going, my best friend needs me like, and I need, it's just, it's an amazing relationship that you both get a lot of value out of. And I think that's a kind of a cool um, thing to be aware of is, is the, is the relationship I have with my parents dependent on dependency mm-hmm. or is it, can it, can it thrive independent of any actual um, needs? Need state. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's probably for all relationships, right? Like with you, with your wife, is it a need thing? Like, do you need me here because you need me to help raise the kids? Do you need me because you need my financial support? Do you need me because if I wasn't here, you'd be an emotional wreck and I'm your rock? Do you, or is it truly like balanced and, um, it's, it's truly for the joy of the relationship itself. That's really interesting, Patrick. Yeah, and it's certainly something that no one talks about as well. It's like no one's preparing you for that kind of like, hey, there's going to be this time where it's need-free. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said though, the the idea of thriving. Like, okay, cool. Now now you need to, now I need to, or whoever's in this position needs to kind of define like what does thriving look like? What does that mean? What does it, um, what does that look like? How can you, how can you pursue that if that's actually Mm -hmm. where you're at? Um, Which I think is, is a useful focal focal point right cool define that figure out what that looks like and then work backwards from there and say okay how do i actually start doing that with some intention how do i start pursuing that love that okay um next question crossfit related is tia the most dominant athlete the crossfit games have has ever seen i believe that's what dave castro said when he kind of uh, announced uh, at the end of the games this year um me first I think me first. Okay. So I, we talked about in a previous hopper talk, the sort of the Matt rich debate, like who's more, I forget the, the question exactly, but something like who's been, who I think it was like the most impressive either Matt or, or rich. Um, and my answer there was rich because of not only the length of time he's been able to be dominant, but also the breadth, you know, the, the across different, uh, um, um, uh, competitive landscapes, right? As first as an individual and then making it work as a team as well, which I think is, um, as you know, uh, more complex than just putting your head down and working real hard and working real smart. And so um, I think my answer remains the same. I know that this isn't the question, but I think my answer remains the same. Like now it's, now it's that question is really like Tia, Matt or Rich. And I still think that it's Rich 
as we speak today, because of, for the same reasons, for the same reasons of dominance as an individual, dominance over a long time frame, and dominance uh, on the team, uh, on the team front as well. That said, if Tia wins one more, I think it's hard to argue that she's not clearly the most dominant um, athlete uh, that the games have ever seen. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think you um, surmise that very, very well. Uh, and, and and again. Um, Rich this year put another notch in his belt, um, you know, which is just absolutely incredible. Like they continue to change the the structure of the teams. You know, back in the day, it was three guys, three girls. Then it went to two guys, two girls, super teams. Now it's yeah. two guys, two girls, no super teams. It's like no matter what it happens, um, he's dominating. He's never finished worse than second, and he's won. He's been a champion like I don't even know how many times now. It's is it? It's got to be close to ten. It's in. Yeah. It's insanity. Um, so here's my cop-out answer. Um, Matt, Tia, and Rich are all tied right now. Mm. That's Everyone's talking about Tia, most dominant ever, because she's won five. Matt's won five. People are talking about Tia's margin of victory, but I wouldn't discount Matt's margin of victory. Like He had these things sewn up like days ahead of time too in multiple games. And then Rich is one four plus all his team stuff. So to me right now, they're all tied. Mm-hmm. And to your point, um, and I, I'm cool with like not taking the stand right now and like being playing both sides of the, the fence. Um, just what you said. Tia wins one more. She's the most dominant. Yep. Even if Rich wins one more um, team, she's the next, she's the most Agreed. dominant. And regardless of which, how she does it. If it comes down to the last event, one point, she's still the most dominant. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. Next question. What has no right to be as difficult as it is? Taxes. Period. <laughs> taxes. Yeah. Like, why are like taxes could be so simple? I mean, like the like for the technology that we have, yeah, and like what the government knows about us, like that we have to, like that taxes are a thing that we have to like spend as much time, energy, effort, or money to get somebody else to do them for us. Mm-hmm. It's in, I mean, I know there's all these proposals of like, get a way of, get rid of income taxes altogether. Just rank up the sales tax. The people that buy the most, spend the most, um, will end up paying the most. It'll incentivize more savings. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even think you need to go down that road. It's like, just make this thing like, there's, there's, I'm not smart enough to figure out the right way to do it, but there's a better way. It's insane <laughs> that taxes are as hard as they are. Yeah, I agree with you. We, we have My, cars that drive themselves. Correct. Like, come on. <laughs> correct. Mine is, I wonder, I, you probably agree with me at least to a degree on this, but mine, the thing that feels to me to be way, way uh, more difficult than it needs to be is small talk. <laughs> every time I walk, every time I walk away from a, from a encounter that like you go in, you're like, I'm only going to talk to this person for two minutes. I always walk away feeling like, how am I that stupid? How am I that incompetent or incapable of having, but there's something about small talk that I just, I just can't, I can't like get into. I can't emotionally engage in because I, because it's going to be gone in a couple minutes and nothing we're going to talk about in the next two minutes matters in any way, shape or form. But the result of that, is I walk away feeling like, oh, what, what, he, what? <laughs> okay, we could do a, I could, I, that's like a trigger for me. I could do a whole, 
I could talk about this for a very long time. It's so the first part is, um, I'm with you. I think small talk, um, um, can be a complete waste of time because Mm -hmm. you talk to a stranger or an acquaintance and you talk about the weather and it's like, what does that mean at all? Okay. Two things that kind of pop up right away from that is I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to read catcher in the rye right now. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Like it is, have you read it? Uh, A long time ago, but yeah. It is. um, So this is going to be really divisive. And I looked it up on the internet because I was like, why do people like this book? (laughs) Because all it is, is this guy just talking about, it's like just this, it means not, he's like, I went on a train. This is literally how it, I mean, it's, it's the most plain, it's like written by like a seventh grader. It's like, Mm -hmm. I went on a train. I met a woman. She had red hair. She put her hair up in a bun, then let it back down. And it's like, and then he's off the train and <laughs> there's no, it's like, it's over. Yeah. My sister, Emma, dot, dot, dot. And it's like, goes, it's just like, it's just this meaningless stuff. So here's, I'm not, I understand that. And I read it on the internet and I, it's, it's supposed to be this, um, um, this rebel, person dealing with the troubles of adolescence and it's the first book in the post dot 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 i'm not smart enough to to um relate to any of that stuff so that's just like i can't grab onto the small talky type stuff but here's the other aspect of this is small talk i've started this is gonna sound weird patrick i've started to enjoy it Mm. i started to do it more okay and teach me sir yeah so it's it's not a matter of teaching i don't know how to um do that part (laughs) But what I've, what through this more of this spiritual, um, exploration that I've, um, kind of dove, 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 dived, dived. I think either is probably proper that I partaked in (laughs) over the last, you know, I think it started with COVID stuff is it allowed more freedom to time is introversion is a really loud form of your ego. And what we see ego as generally is like, generally when we think about ego, it's this like overconfidence. It's like, I, I'm the best and I have, and for me, ego takes the form of the opposite thing. The thing that kept me from talking at all many days when I was in high school and middle school. And it was this, um, I don't want to be judged. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to be judged, so I'm just going to be quiet and observe. And I'm so much more comfortable playing that role. And as – I'm not saying as I've um, grown or as I've um, got – it's as I've become just a, a more aware of that. Mm-hmm. It's um, – what you realize is that there is more um, connectedness to us, each of us, and us – talking about the weather, quote unquote, small talk. It's not about the weather and it's not about the small talk. It is about truly just connecting with some other, uh, to sound way out there, like spiritual being. Like we are all just um, these energy forces walking around on this rock that's being hurled through space and 
whatever ways, shape, or forms that that connectedness takes place, and if you were to truly let go of all of self-judgment, including am I wasting my time right now by having this conversation, that is a judgment upon yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things just kind of like happen. And so I really realized this. I'm, I'm kind of like this is a big kind of like leaping off point for me and um, because I realized it when I went to the games this year. I had the conversation with Heather and I had the conversation with Katrin and with Maya. And I was like, oh my God, I can't, I'll get in the elevator and I'll just start up conversations with people. Whereas before that would be the opposite of what I would ever, ever do. And I catch myself doing it. I'm like, I can't believe I'm initiating a conversation right now. I catch myself in the mid sentence, like, whoa, what are you doing? And I think it's because I've, um, I'm just becoming a little bit more of, um, the spiritual side of things than I am about the form side of things. You know, and form is um, the house you live in, the car you drive, the movies you watch, the books you read, the other people you associate with. Um, but it also is form is the the story you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. And we love to latch onto form. It's the roles we play. I am a creative. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a... Okay, when you peel back all those things, you peel back the cars, the house, the job, the wife, the kids, the thoughts that you have, because thoughts are formed. When you peel all those things back, what are you? You're, You're an energy. That's literally what it is. You are a consciousness. And so is every other person on planet earth. And the ability to connect to those energies is really freaking cool. You said that you probably couldn't teach how to do it, but I think actually you, at least you gave a tactic in there, which I really like, which is you said you started to initiate them, which to me is like, okay, that's interesting. Cause no, usually that's it's not, that's that not where, to... that's, that's not where it would start for me at all. Cause if I tried okay. to do that before, oh my God, that'd be terrible. <laughs> That'd be horrible. And I'd be like laced with like the, the thoughts going through my heads all the time that yep. I'm having these conversations. Yep. Like I'm trying really hard to have this conversation right now. I'm like saying <laughs> the right things. And it's like, that's, it's not practice. It's not practice. Yeah. It's an awareness. So there's awareness, which is like, I'm having a conversation right now, yep. but there's an awareness of your awareness. Mm-hmm. That's where, when you start living in the awareness of the awareness. And if I, honestly, if I was to do it, Patrick, if I was to give one place to kind of have a leaping off point, a teaching place, it'd be to meditate. Mm. And it's not the meditation of, for me, and I, I think it can take so many different forms. And I hated the word meditation because the way I interpreted that was um, sit and try and think of nothing. Mm-hmm. That's not what to me it needs to be or should be. It said <clears throat> um, the way it's, the way it kind of has, has worked for me, the way it's kind of helped me and I only share this because I don't know else how to give people a leaping off point mm-hmm. is to um, is to read something that um, leads you to become more aware of your consciousness. So whether that is something as in your face as the subtle art of not giving a fuck, or it is Ryan Holiday, or it is Eckhart Tolle, or it is... Um, a commencement speech by Steve Jobs, like whatever it is, something that's going to challenge the way that you um, 
are, are navigating your way through life. Maybe challenging isn't the right word, but becoming aware. And then m- meditate. Do some deep breath practice and um, see where it goes. And the way that I, I kind of like to do that is you kind of go through I, um, some, let it kind of anything happen. And then when something kind of comes to mind, don't try to think of nothing, lean into it. And maybe it's connectedness. And maybe like, just sit and think about connectedness. Think about love. Think about fulfillment. Like think, some of these big, massive words that are really gray and, but everyone says are like the meaning of life. And just kind of like sit on those things. And what's worked for me, and again, this is me, and I, I'm sure that, you know, I'm excited this fall. I'm working with a, a meditation coach. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see where this goes. That's very into breath work. And he is not into Wim Hof, but that's what my leaping off point was. I got, I got tricked into meditation. That's, that's what it yeah, happened. about that. Yeah. Because I thought that Wim Hof was badass, and I thought I was being a badass, and I was holding my breath for a real long time, and I was being aggressive. Um, and it was just a hack into a very deep meditative state. Um, so that's what I would do and like, just sit on those things for a long time and do some breath hold in the middle of it because breath when it's quiet like that. Gosh, it's amazing kind of where your mind goes and then don't force it. Just like hold your breath for 10, 15 seconds and then get back into some deep breathing. And I think a few cycles of that is really impactful. And, you know, getting back to where we started, that's what a got me without trying because it shocked me to like having conversations mm. it's to the point of, you know, I go to these semifinal events, whether it's the West coast classic and in our world and everyone can relate to this at some level. Um, you have acquaintances, people that you see only at these events that you see once or twice a year. And it's always kind of like potentially the way I always thought of them as like awkward conversations. Like I'm going to go and make small talk with this person. Like, how was your year? How was COVID? How was your business? And I would, at every opportunity, try to avoid eye contact with people so I wouldn't get drawn into those things. Mm. This year, for the first time ever, I'd see someone from across the venue and I would find myself walking over to them. And I'd be like, what am I doing? And like, <laughs> I, I get four or five minutes into a conversation. I'd be like, whoa, I can't believe that I just did that. Whereas before I'd be like, ooh, there's that person. Yeah. Look this way so you don't have to have that. Yeah. Interesting. It's, yeah. This works for the conversation for people like me and you, for someone like Heather. It just yeah. doesn't like it hasn't. People that are listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> it's because you you get energy from other people. And that's and introverts don't. Like we get energy from being by ourselves. Um, but it's it's a really interesting transformation. All right, I'm gonna think about that for a while. Next question: What is a simple pain? <clears throat> excuse me. What is a simple painful fact that people need to just get over and accept? All right, so I think you're okay. first, even though I hijacked your last one. That's okay. I, no, I appreciate it. I, uh, that and the parenting one, I was actually excited to get your take on. It. So, um, so thank you for that. So here's so the painful. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word. I'm gonna use fact very loosely because I don't know that this is a fact. Uh, in the in the strictly scientific sense, but what I started thinking about was the 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 single um, painful fact is that problems don't exist so that we can solve problems and then no longer have problems. 
Oh, I love problems that. exist so that we can learn how to solve problems so that we can learn how to solve more interesting problems. Whoa, I think oftentimes cool. we get, we get a problem, a challenge or whatever. And we're like, I just need to get through this. And then I'll be, uh, things will be good. I'll be okay. I can calm down. I can take a deep breath. I can relax. I can be comfortable. But like we, we know, like there's a new problem around the corner, right? There's another one and another one, another one. We get kind of equally frustrated every time we're presented with a new problem. Like I just dealt with that another problem and now I'm dealing with this one. Well, yeah, but if you learn something about yourself or how to deal with problems or how to relate to problems or how to, um, how to respond to them, then this new one probably will be slightly easier. And if you can start to solve the problem, if you can start to solve problems, quote unquote, easier, you start opening up the opportunity to say, to look for, to embrace and to tackle more interesting, more challenging, deeper problems. And I think an interesting life, a good life, a fulfilled life or fulfilling life is one where we get to tackle interesting problems that excite us, that challenge us, and that um, that push us forward. So I don't even know if I have an answer now because I love yours so much. And there's just a... Um, expand upon that. There's been a number of studies that have been done in a number of different arenas that show that if you solve problems, the number of problems don't change in your life. Mm. You are going to be set with... So for example, like think about just, just 200 years ago. Like we didn't have paved roads 200 years ago. It's like the amount of like like things that we have solved as a species, like it's pretty damn, like you have a cell phone, like mm-hmm. you, like the, the house that you're in right now, it's warm or it's cold whenever you want it to be warm or cold. like we have solved so many problems. It doesn't mean you have less problems. Mm. What we do is we manufacture n- problems to replace the other problems. So as we solve problems, the problems just change. Now, if we're lucky enough, and you and I are, is that we get saddled with a lot of like first world problems. Like, and to me, that's like what people need to get over is like these, these first world problems. Like they're not a big, like, yeah. So you're stuck in traffic. The weather's bad. The plumber isn't coming. Like uh, you're, internet access went down today. Like these are not real problems. They're they're not like um, your baby being born with a life-threatening disease. That's a real problem. Your, um, um, Your business is going under and you need to lay off half of your workforce. That's a real problem. Like I would... That's the thing that I think that we should all try to figure out is like, what is the, the the magnitude of, is this a real problem or am I manufacturing this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, am I just trying to, cause we all do, we are problem solving machines and we are hardwired biologically from an evolutionary perspective to seek out problems. The problem is that most of them are gone. Like mm-hmm. in terms of our survival, it just isn't there. We can go to the supermarket. Think about how crazy a supermarket is. Like we can go to a supermarket and buy this amazing produce or meat, or if you're into it, 
packaged goods that'll stay on your shelf for a year. Like that's insanity. And bring it back to your temperature controlled house with electricity. Like what? And you drove your electric car that goes a hundred miles an hour to get there. Like figure out that's like anything that's not a real problem is the thing that I think we all need to get over. Me included. Like I, like I, I have to kind of remind myself of this all the time. As well. Yep. Love it. Okay. Two more questions. What is something from the nineties that you miss? Hip hop, bro. Like the rap today sucks, <laughs> but nineties hip hop, nineties hip hop was dope. Like yeah. so good. Like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube and um, Beastie Boys. And like, that was um, Tribe Called Quest. Like, like go back and listen to that stuff. And God, it was good. Even like the like not quite as popular stuff, you know, like um, uh, Naughty by Nature, like Ghetto Boys, like those, like all of the '90s hip hop was so good. Like, and the hip hop of I even take I'd even take like the hip hop of like Kanye and Jay Z, but like what is out there now of like Drake and XXXX and all these like what? Like I miss that stuff. And I'm not even a music guy, but my son is. And that's how I know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because my answer is also music related, which is the thing I miss is mixtapes and actually like what? How can making... you miss? But you... well, cause it was a creative oh, like, process. I got it. it. Like yeah, a... yeah. 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 And yeah. you mixtapes can be kind of like a, and you'd a give them as a gift thing. to somebody. Exactly. Like, like DVD or CDs. On... And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, but also just like just and the thing that I hadn't thought about. So it's mixtapes specifically. But what you were saying, because I agree with you, at least to the degree to which I paid any attention to hip hop today, which is almost none. Um, but like there was a you know, we live now in a time of we're just like awash with music to the degree to which like music has become for a lot of people just kind of background noise. Like I put on music mm-hmm. to drive or I do some work to music or whatever. And it's there's just so much of it. That you don't I think, again. Maybe I'm just. I, I won't say. I won't. I won't include all of us because maybe it's just me. But like, I don't have a, a personal connection to the music now because there's so much of it, and it's so easy to find another song and another song and another artist to the degree to which it's like I don't care who that artist is. It's just I like that song. Cool, whatever, and then move on. Whereas like in the days of of mixtapes, it was like, oh no, this is like this is my favorite song, and I want I want you to have it. So I'm going to put it next to my other two favorite songs. I want you to have all three of these. I want to introduce you to these because these things mean something to me. And I, want, and I hope that they mean something to you. And so music meant, and it's also probably the, the age that we were at, right? Where we were, you know, in that formative period of time where music can like really feel like it was like, they wrote that song for me, right? Um, and so that's probably part of it as well. But just that that feeling of music being, uh, a part of life and a part of your life and a, and a thing that you used to express your identity, I think has disappeared one because of age, but also because of technology and the abundance we now have. Abundance is good. A lot more artists making music, but it, I think the other, the downstream of that is like, you don't feel as connected to particular songs or particular artists as, as I did certainly in the nineties. Well, there, there was, it's, it's super interesting. I never really thought of this until you brought up, but there was an investment. When you, you were invested in your artists, you were invested in, in your music because once you, right now, if you don't like a song, you go, Alexa, skip. Right. It's just like, it's, you're on to the next one. Whereas that, and if you wanted to hear a song, 
you either needed to buy the entire album. So you bought the entire album and then finding the song on that album wasn't like as easy as like, Alexa, play Ed Sheeran. Oh, she's going to start playing. Right? That's, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, she, it's playing right Did now. She? Yeah. Um, but it's a matter of like you buy the album and you listen to the album, the whole first side, and then it was a mixtape. You popped it out. You turned it around. And you listened to the whole other side. Yep. It's it, There was a big – so because of that, you were invested both financially but also from a um, attention standpoint – and a time, literally time standpoint, mm-hmm. into your music. And it became more, um, I kind of like what you said, you like, it became more of a like, this is what I like, this is who, I, and if you want to share it, it was literally like you had to share something physical. Yep. And that person then had to go and listen to the entirety of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you remember, but I used to um, have the dual cassette things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I used to record off the radio, like a song would yep. come on the radio and you like try to time it. it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love that. All right. Last question. The most important question. How many fist bumps are acceptable in a training session? This is actually from a listener that I think he wanted a two minute drill, but I didn't, I don't know if we can do this for two minutes, but how many fist bumps are acceptable in a training session? Uh, you go first on this one. I can't imagine more than two, one at the start, one at the end. Anything more than that, you're just probably procrastinating the actual workout. Okay, um, it's cool. I have, the, I have the exact opposite answer. Hit me. Um, cannot do too many. <laughs> so, and here's the reason. I know like, CFNE, um, do you guys at CFNE do them like mid, like so, before workouts yep. do that? So yeah, it's, um, it's um, we have a actual like um, scripted out start to every workout, yep. which is... Um, 8.30, athlete set, fist bump your buddies. Fran, 21.59 is starting in. And that's how you, but um, but here's, it's actually been, um, there's shocker, there's studies for this. And the better athletes give more fist bumps. So um, the study was originally done on Steve Nash, um, former NBA MVP. And they just, um, it, in one game, which is 48 minutes. Now that's 40 minutes of play time. It's actually about two and a half hours. Yep. Um, he gave 239 high fives. Back then it was high fives. Yep. Um, 239 high fives. Well, if that's, if we were to condense that down to actual playing time, it's not, it's over, but that's one every 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what they found was this interconnectedness of like, it actually improves performance. Now it's different in our world. I'm not saying in a CrossFit workout because it's just, you don't have that availability. That'd be like saying like Michael Phelps should be giving that many fist bumps. It's like it's a <laughs> right. different sport. Right. <laughs> um, yep. but the, the take home is that, um, you should not shy away from them. Um, I think it's weird if they're artificial until that they're not like back in the day, nobody used to give high fives after every foul shot, but watch an NBA game now. They literally do a foul shot, make or miss. They high five all four of their teammates on the floor every single time. And there's science to it. There's actually like there is good hormones that are released when you touch another human being. Now, don't take that the wrong way. But that is – it is something that can improve performance. So um, as a coach, like I think it's – I'm about to say like 
you can't do too many until you've done too many. And once you've done too many, like it's now it's really bad. But the idea behind this is a lot. Got it. All right. Alexa, stop. <laughs> She's playing the news now. All right. That's a good place to wrap up. Uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, PS Coming. Send me some Hopper Talk uh, questions that you want us to hear or you want to hear our answers on. And Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.